0: When we say, "We love chocolate, we love our wives, we love our parents, we love chips, mummy or chips, remember that? mummy or chips it 's a lovely day what 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 is this love that gets talked about so flippantly, so easily, so quickly. What does it mean? Well, that's going to be our uh, theme for the next uh, uh, number of weeks. As you go out, you'll be given a, a flyer that'll have on it some of the dates and themes, including the dates and themes of the small groups that uh, meet during the week at different times. Now, let me let me level with you. If you want to be connected and, and sort of share in the life of this community in a meaningful way, then you need to get connected with a small group. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a small group called a small group. It doesn't matter whether it's a missional community and you break off into a small group or that missional community is your small group. It doesn't matter what you call it what's really important is that you're connected in to a group of people that you can meaningfully get to know and love, that can meaningfully get to know and love you, that can make sure you're following Jesus and you have the privilege of making sure they're following him too. That's what all of us need. And if you haven't got that kind of network going on, then uh, you need to do that at the beginning of this year if you want to walk more closely with Jesus. there's It's not an ifs or buts or maybes, it's just a core part of the New Testament. So um, to help you do that, we can fix you up into a small group if you haven't got a particular network that you can relate to uh, come and see me at the end of the service see Katie at the end of the service you can't miss her uh, she's both tall and broad and it's the only time I'm going to say that uh, and get away with it so see Katie today as well and we can get you hooked in beginning of a new year everyone else will be new in the group as well or at least they'll pretend they are so no one will know and it'd be a brilliant way to start and get underway I'm going to preach a, a little shorter this morning and uh, th- I thought we'd try something new, and uh, this is to give you a head start, right? What I thought during 2013 is that I would preach less and less if you do it more and more. Yeah, so if you like get on and just do what we're talking about, then I'll stop preaching about it. Yeah, is that okay? So, so we'll set it up. So I- I'll start generously by a small sermon. If you just do it this week... Then, then next week will be a small one, but if you don't, if somehow you just listen and go lovely Thai, lovely sermon vicar, then, then we'll have a bit longer next time, and so it can go on, and we can have a bit of fun, and then by the end of the year, our services will be, or, or they could be very short, it's entirely up to you, I can't say fairer than that, it, it, in, in your hands, yeah Andrew's sticking with a long sermon because it's a lot easier I can understand that okay so um here we go then new sermon series love exposed uh hashtag love exposed you get your phones out you can tweet with that hashtag I'll feel honored even if it's got nothing to do with what I'm saying if you can think of something better and pass it off as if I've said it and tweet it under that hashtag that would be absolutely brilliant as well uh, 1 John chapter 4. We've just been reading from 1 John chapter 3. We're going to continue. Flip over in your Bible, would you, just to the very next page, 1 John chapter 4. Uh, and it's continuing all that Sally was reading about love and how we understand it. And, and he's bringing the argument to a conclusion. And uh, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 You'll know the very last three words of this verse, but may not have known where it came from. Verse eight: Whoever uh, does—sorry, whoever does not—sorry, I've got several versions. Of the NIV going on here. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Because God is love. Because God is love. Well, what does what, what that? Mean what? Love what? God is love. What is that love? Well, He begins to spell it out a little bit in verse nine. This is how God showed His thank you. His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is how. God showed his love. What's this love like? What does it mean when it says God is love? This is what it's like. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God is love. Everything he he does, it's hard for us to grasp, everything he does is an example of his love. And we see that most clearly illustrated. This writer is saying, John's saying, in Jesus. In Jesus, we have the perfect example of what God's love is like. Verse 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So as we look at Jesus, which is basically what we're going to do, As we look at Jesus and think about what does this action of Jesus say or communicate about God's love, so we'll build up a picture of what God's love is like. And why does that matter? Why is that important? It's important because of verse uh, 11 Dear friend, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 11 there, do you say it? Dear friend, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we're going to look over these weeks at different cameos, different moments in the life of Jesus to help us build up a picture of what God's love is like. Why? Because we ought to love like that. That's the kind of love that we need to share both in our homes, in our neighborhoods, where we work, uh, uh, in our church, wherever God has placed us in different contexts of our lives. So let's break out of thinking that we're talking about boy-girl type romantic stuff. It's not a series about that at all. It's about how you relate to the people around you in, in whatever situation God has placed you in to do that. And as we begin to understand it, so we need to begin to put it into practice in our lives. The first one then that we're thinking of is this tender-hearted love or tender love. And we're starting here, I think, because the rest of them either don't happen or don't make sense without this first one. If, If your heart is not in some way soft towards those God is placing around you, you'll either operate some of the extra loves or the other aspects of love with false motives or with subtle manipulative agendas or or just because you have to and you're a jolly good Christian. The others I don't think work unless we get this one right. So we'll take our cue from Jesus and we'll think about this tender-heartedness that he displayed. There's a story and it was brilliant, uh, Heather, helping us think about the healing of the leper because there, there's several stories, several examples in the Gospels about Jesus healing uh, lepers, uh, healing other people uh, besides. But think with me about this one, Mark chapter 1 and verse 41. We only need the, the verse that's on the screen, but you might like to have your finger in the Bible just to prove that it's there. You see, if you were a leper, you'd lost everything. If if you were a leper, you'd lost your home, your family, you were an outcast, you'd lost your job, you'd lost your status in society, Uh, 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 everything was, was, was gone. And what was worse, way worse than that, was the way that people would instinctively respond to you if you were a leper. If you saw a leper coming towards you, your instant reaction would have been anxiety because it's contagious. If a leper came towards you, there would be fear because you would be uncertain how to behave and how to react. As the leper got close, you would be disgusted by what you saw, even kind of overwhelmed or repulsed by the smell that would greet your nostrils of dying and decaying flesh. And all of these emotions would have naturally, instinctively been at work. That's why they shove lepers outside the city. It saved people having to come to terms with it emotionally. Let's get them out of the way, out of sight, out of mind, for the good of the rest of us, so we don't need to, to face it. All of these things would have been welling up. And then there's this story about this leper and Jesus. And then it says, Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. It's interesting, isn't it, the way Mark writes this gospel, or Peter writes it, or whatever. Filled with compassion. What is it that Mark saw that he would write those words? What is it that he's trying to say to us in that little phrase? Such tenderness, maybe, that priestly rules were disobeyed. Such tenderness that the leper feeling uh, accepted, loved, and valued was way more important to Jesus than anything else. What's interesting about this little uh, uh, verse is the way it breaks up something of Mark's very simple kind of Greek, Peter and John, James and John. What is it we learn to read? Peter and Jane, was it? Did anyone learn to read? You know those story but You're looking at me, story, story books, Peter and Jane. Today it's Chiff, Biff, Biff and Kipper, yeah. yay! Who's into chip? Biff and Kipper? Mark's reading is a bit like that. Mark's gospel, rather. Peter was playing with the red ball. Jane is skipping. Kipper kicked the ball, knocked Biff over. All that sort of very straightforward uh, grammatical stuff. What's interesting, though, is that at certain moments. Mark interrupts the flow to make a descriptive observation, which is kind of to use more words than necessary. He was a real bloke. He used as few words as possible. Uh, And here he does that, filled with compassion. He didn't need to say that. It's a break in the flow, but it's much simpler. Jesus reached out his hand and healed him, filled with compassion. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, actually, turn to it, please. That would be great. It's another example of, of the way in the story there's like this linguistic pause that draws us to think about what's going on. So what was going on in this verse when Jesus was filled with compassion? What, what, was, what was hanging in the air that made the gospel writer write it down? Mark chapter 10 verse 17, Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not a bad question. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Then according to Mark's style, the next verse might well have simply read, Jesus looked at him, one thing you lacked, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But it doesn't say that. It says Jesus looked at him and what? And loved him. And loved him. How did anybody know? What was hanging in the air to such an extent that that should be visibly remembered, written down and recorded. Jesus looked at him and loved him. What was it about Jesus' voice, Jesus' demeanour, that was a vivid, tangible expression of Jesus' heart for this man, lost in all his religiousness? Time and again, we see Jesus creating this, this love that hangs, as it were, in the air, that's visible, that's tangible, that can almost be touched and felt. A gentleness, but yet a power, a, a kindness, yet, yet, yet almost you can hold on to it. That the recipients could feel, the leper felt, this man, maybe knew, could see the depths of Jesus' love, who knows what lasting impression that had on him. We don't know. What was it about Jesus that couldn't see a crowd go away hungry, that had compassion and healed the sick even though he was tired after a long day? What compassion was it that would stop a funeral in mid-procession? What compassion was it that he would sit and eat with those normally no one would sit and eat with? What compassion was it that he would heal the very ear of a soldier coming to arrest him? What compassion would it be that would offer forgiveness to those who were crucifying him, that would make provision on the cross for his mother, that would appear here a second time for doubting Thomas that would give the Apostle Peter a second chance. What what was that heart? God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. How tender are we in our homes, in our place of work, amongst those that we meet. One of the things that characterizes our society is that we try and go out of our way to protect ourselves from things that might affect us and begin to soften our hearts. We protect our hearts as often as we can. Very subtly, we trained one another. We're raising up a generation that that has learned to to, to kind of guard their hearts, not to be too affected by what goes on around. Uh, And we do that in in a number of ways. We we shut need out. Have you noticed how we do that? You notice how we've built this incredible mechanism to shut need out, not to allow it too close because of what it might do to our hearts. I love the news headlines for their kind of bizarreness. It's, it's not unusual for there to be a headline like this. Three die in A14 pileup, Ipswich beat Norwich 3-1. And everyone's going, yeah! Three die in a pileup on the A14. Ipswich. It's not a go at football, it's just the way the news goes. It's like that. And and we and we just gloss over stuff that that might bother us or trouble us or disturb us or or somehow touch us. That's why I love the detail in the in the story that Jesus told about the good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite that walked on by, they didn't just walk on by, did they? What did they do? They went to the other side. You see, you don't want to get too close because as you get close, what happens? You get involved. And who's got any time and energy to get involved? And so we keep to the other side, and we live our lives like that. If I keep my distance enough, then I don't need to get involved, and I've got no time to get involved, and uh, my heart would hurt if I got involved, so I'll just go on the other side. In any case, we teach by our actions, and by our words, that at the end of the day, what we need to do is ultimately to look after ourselves, because no one else will. And very subtly, in so many different ways, we raise our children like that, we relate to our peers like that, if the chips are down, I'll look after myself. It's why we're really good at helping others, but pretty rubbish at receiving help, because we've taught ourselves that in the end, uh, when the chips are down, you've just got to look after yourself. And because we, we live with that subtlety of focus that in the end, I, it, it's just going to be down to me. Then I keep my distance. I keep my heart a little crusty around the edges to needs that are beyond my immediate influence. And then there's this third one that's ugly. And we, as a kind of Christian church, we have bought into this ugly one. That kind of we keep our heart's heart with a self-righteous justification, with a judgment on others. Have you noticed how Christians can be brilliant at that? We're kind of, of, of brought into this kind of, um, you know, Jesus calls us to live right and God bless us that we live right and other people don't live right. And if people are struggling in different while, well, it, it's their, their bad choice. It's their, their wrong situation. If it's, it's their this. It's their, it's their that. And we kind of excuse ourselves because somehow, well, what their suffering is of their own making. Not only is that not true, it comes from the pit of hell, don't you think? When Jesus came and reached out to everybody in the way that he did. And so as a good Christian, we can encourage ourselves with our own righteousness and somehow use that as a justification to protect us. We don't need to get involved in that kind of life. The very reason I'm a Christian is so that I can leave that kind of stuff behind, and yet Jesus lived in the midst of that kind of stuff. And then there's a fourth one that's subtle, that I slipped in this morning. I just felt the whisper of the Spirit to slip this in. So maybe this will speak to your own hearts. There's something about we harden our hearts sometimes around those areas where we ourselves have suffered. So in those areas of our lives where you would expect us to understand and empathize with other people the most, we can sometimes become hard in that area. Does that make sense? So if we've suffered in a particular way, we have little time for someone else now suffering in the same way we had to manage, so now they do. If if we grew up in a particular circumstance and we struggled through, then we see someone else and we've got little time or energy for someone else because we've had to go through that. And so there can be this, this hardness that we create around our lives that's particularly related to our own Vulnerability. Maybe God wants to highlight a few things for us where our hearts are hard in areas that are that, that are kind, of, kind of a kind of bit raw for us, a bit sore for us. So what, what's the what's the answer? What, 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 where do we take all this? Where maybe we need to understand where our struggle is first. Where where is your struggle? Where is your struggle? Do you keep yourself on the far side? Is that the safe place for you? Where's your struggle? Or is your struggle uh, more about that sense of of righteousness, that false kind of pride that that, that we've kind of done well at fostering in Christian churches? Or or is your struggle uh, uh, that sort of independence that you've developed? Because actually... Life's taught you no one else is there for you, so you're jolly well going to be there for yourself. And it's created a hardness in your heart. Where where is it? Where is it? And as God's Spirit just just awakens in us, where our hearts are hard when He's calling us to be tender-hearted, to the people that we are kind of with, when, when God's calling us to be more gentle as we open our lives to God and say, Lord, what you're calling me to this year is to love like you love. What might help us in that? You see, the biggest challenge is what we leave behind in our day-to-day lives. What kind of aroma, what kind of scent uh, are are we leaving? What kind of mark are we making? What kind of fragrance fills the air by our actions? So, what can we do to help? A softening heart. See people as God does. See people as God does. We always make judgments on people, don't we? We've decided about people within the first, I don't know, is it 15 seconds, people say, when they come into the room? And we're into this. We make judgments straight away. The winner a loser. Nice, not so nice. Like me, not like me. Friend, foe. And we're making these categorizations all the time. And we've got a whole kind of row of these categories and we're plopping people in at different places. And uh, you could act like that's, I'm the only one that does that, but I know that uh, uh, you'd be lying if you said that. So we're all in this together. We make these kind of judgments about people all of the time, which means that it's much easier for us to relate to and love some people and a lot harder to relate to and, and love others because of all these judgments that we're making. But what if God could somehow release us from our kind of uh, automatic response. What if God could help us see people like He does? No favourites. What if God could help us see that everyone carries this image, that everyone's valuable, everyone deserves to be loved like we long to be loved ourselves? Maybe it would help for us to begin to think about what life might be like in someone else's shoes. We're always quite keen that other people know what it's like to live in our shoes. We're quite keen to tell people how difficult perhaps or challenging or, or how hard a particular situation is for us. But, but what, what if God would help us to see what another person's walk is like, what another person's journey is like, what another person's situation is like. And it's so much easier, it's so much easier to analyze someone else's problem than it is to feel the other person's pain. It's so much easier to analyze another person's problem than to feel the other person's pain. And so in our analytical way, we make judgments and assessments as to why and to what and how our response should be. And what Jesus is asking of us is to begin to feel other people's pain as well as their joy. What if we could put ourselves in someone else's shoes and mercifully and mercifully, God wants to work something in us that we can't work ourselves. You see, in the end, I can't soften my heart much. A lot of effort, maybe. What I need is a changed heart. Isn't that the gospel story? What I need is a, a new heart. What what I need is is for God's Spirit to to, to come and and break the crustiness, to to smash the hard edges, to begin to mould and to breathe His life-giving Spirit into my heart so that I might begin or continue to or reach further in loving like He loves. None of this is complicated. There is nothing here that was new this morning, probably, that you're going home saying, wow, that was brilliant. I never knew that was in the Bible. But doing it, doing it is a totally different matter, and we need His help. Let's pray.